The Executioners is a podcast about actually getting shit done. Hello and welcome everybody to this episode of The Executioners. Today we're speaking with Mike Dudas, the founder and CEO of The Block, one of the leading blockchain media companies right up there with Coindesk, delivering a lot of insightful journalism over the past uh, year and change. Uh, I first met Mike uh, around two years ago and there was just a small group, uh, I think there was just two of them at the time, uh, working at a WeWork and they've really uh, been humming along and growing at a, an impressive clip and I think uh, refining and, and growing their business along the way. Uh, previously, Mike worked at Google, Venmo, uh, and a number of other impressive fintech companies, including being one of the co-founders of Button. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to understanding more about Mike's approach to journalism, where uh, the block is heading, and a bit more about the personal roots that that guide his leadership. So thanks everyone for listening, and let's get started. All opinions expressed by Alexander Bloom or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any other entity. We should not treat any opinion expressed by Alex as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right. Uh, we're here to start the podcast today with Mike Dudas. Thanks, Mike, so much for joining us. How's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be chatting. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking the time. So I know a bit about your background and previously worked in fintech at Venmo, PayPal, Google, and elsewhere. Um, but maybe it would just be great to hear in your own words kind of before you were at the block, uh, what you've been up to and how you ended up here. Absolutely. The genesis of me you know, being interested in cryptocurrency actually comes out of uh, some of the previous companies that you mentioned. Spent you know, nearly a decade working at fintech companies, uh, whether it was a, you know, a big institution like Google, where I worked in Google Wallet, uh, which, you know, we started in 2010 and was definitely before its time, uh, but is now, you know, hitting a nice stride as Google Pay, or Venmo Braintree, where I spent time on payment processing and peer-to-peer and -peer payments, and then started a company and spent four years there uh, called Button, and uh, it's a mobile commerce uh, affiliate platform for mobile. Um, and it's pretty powerful. It helps folks purchase, you know, whether it's an Uber ride, an Airbnb, you know, Grubhub, DoorDash, things on their phone. And obviously, as you know, in the U.S., that's a really rapidly growing use case um, and way to purchase things. In China and in a number of Asian countries, it's obviously the dominant way. But you know, while working at all of those different places, I was excited, loved the products, loved the use cases, and, and still do, but saw them really. Uh, so my first experience, for example, at Google Wallet was one where we built an API uh, at Google and, and basically forced all of our partners to connect to our you know, very specific uh, architecture. And you know, that continued all the different places I worked at, Venmo and Braintree, you know, heavily regulated businesses. Um, and uh, money transmitter licenses, things of that nature. So became increasingly interested in, hey, is there another way um, for you know, people to, to exchange value, um, to store value, et cetera? And obviously, you know, that led me to Bitcoin uh, in, the, in the 2013 era. I met the folks at Coinbase, uh, purchased my first Bitcoin, got really excited about it. Uh, didn't think about it for about four years while I was building Button. Uh, didn't think about it much. I mean, obviously paid cursory attention. But 
in 2017, uh, you know, prices really started to jump up. I was out on paternity leave and got really excited about you know, the potential of cryptocurrency uh, to create a new financial system that could live uh, perhaps outside of traditional you know, centralized uh, trusted organizations, whether that be governments, whether that be banks. And you know, I think it's something that for the rest of our lifetimes, uh, we're going to be grappling with. Uh, but I am so excited and, and really wanted to work on the side of the alternative to centralized you know, money creation and, and financial systems, while recognizing, obviously, I'm a pragmatic person, uh, okay. that there's a reason those exist. And I don't expect them to be replaced. But right. I'm really excited that alternatives are beginning to emerge. Yeah. So that generally makes sense of how you got kind of in this direction. And then, but specifically, you chose to make uh, a media company uh, as you're entering into it. And then, I, you know, my perspective is that, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere, you're also not just a journalist and a media company, but someone who's still outspoken and deviates somewhat from normal expectations of, of journalists like neutrality and boredom. And so I wonder why you chose to enter the media space specifically and uh, the way you communicate, I wonder why you, why you go about that way and kind of what results it yields. So the first piece on you know, why media, it was really uh, out of, hey, where does my skill set match this uh, space and this ecosystem that I'm so excited about uh, as far as at this particular point in time? So rewinding, you know, when I started the block, it was late, that's right, early 2018. And I was looking at the landscape, and, and I'm not an engineer, and I felt like a tremendous amount of financial assets out there, cryptocurrencies, were extremely overvalued. So I didn't see a good opportunity uh, to join, let's say, a protocol. Like, and I was, I'm a Bitcoiner, right? I, I only own Bitcoin. Um, so that didn't appeal to me. Uh, I didn't see a ton of you know, Bitcoin-specific companies that would need somebody of my skill set. And I didn't want to be an investor, you know, given what I was seeing from a from yeah. valuation perspective. So it made sense, uh, given, and, and I'm passionate about media. So for the majority, for basically all my career prior to working in payments and commerce and, and fintech, I had worked in media, started my career at Disney, worked at a ad tech startup. Uh, it's my first tech job here in New York. And so you know, had that experience. Uh, I've been on Twitter for years, you know, really enjoy the conversation and engaging with people. So it matched both my skill set. It matched what I actually thought was the opportunity, a real dearth of highly vetted, high quality information in a really complex space. Yeah. Uh, so it was a mixture of, yeah, skill set, opportunity, time. And, uh, and then the approach to your second question is, so it, it's certainly the kind of fiery approach to how we share our work at the block. Uh, and how we build our brand is uh, intentional in many respects. So we launched as a challenger brand. We launched yeah. into an ecosystem that is extremely intense and tribal. And uh, and we launched as the underdog. So it made sense uh, at the beginning. And it was in our DNA as well, You know, if you think of the leaders at our company. But that clearly, you know, that has an expiration date and, and you know, mm being fiery all the time, uh, particularly, you know, it, there's just not a business model to, to long-term to yeah. you know, turning off a lot of folks with friction. So 
Yeah. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time now that we feel like we've established a really credible brand and, and done good work uh, yeah. and built some good brands uh, in the block, our media and journalism brand and Genesis, our research data and you know, analysis brand to really focus now on building out those brands and the work within them. Uh, yeah. And then really, yeah, we don't need to make unnecessary noise. And then the goal isn't to do that. Uh, that being said, uh, we are a skeptical group of folks at the block. And I don't mean that in a, we don't think everything's going to work or we think everything's going to fail. But you know, we will take a very critical eye to every project protocol and person we evaluate. Uh, and because of that, you know, you're, you're obviously going to turn folks off. I, I liken it like any story is, is going to have, you know, at least 10% of people who violently disagree. And over time, everybody's going to disagree with something that we write. So you know, we have to be open to engage, discuss, uh, debate, but we're never going to please everyone. And uh, we know that there will you know, always be some element or amount of drama around what we do um, just by nature of the type of work we're doing. Makes sense. Yeah, I think there's this balance, especially when you're starting off, like there's so much noise in the space or, you know, many industries, like how do you get attention and then still maintain dignity or, or uh, integrity or whatnot? Um, I think that you, know, you can't just be pleasant and nice all the time or just say what people want to hear. But at the same time, you know, there's a line, If you, obviously, as you're saying, to create a, a real brand and especially in the journalism space where, you know, it's all about trust and, and uh, objectivity. Uh, it also makes sense kind of like, you know, as the company evolves, there's different stages uh, and kind of being appropriate for what stage you're in uh, makes sense to me as well. Um, yeah, as we've hit our stride, like we really have confidence that we can put out a really high quality product every single day, right? Yeah. So we don't need to, and people are aware of us. And, and so now when we do the work, uh, people are listening and they see it and, and there's yeah. no need to say, hey, look at us. Right. Uh, and in fact, it's it's not really as you said it's just not like becoming and it's not um it, it just doesn't look good so you know i've i've recognized that and obviously it takes time like it's it's really hard to change your nature and your strategy in real time so so as a as a company those folks who know the block um and know this cryptocurrency ecosystem and bitcoin ecosystem well you know they've definitely seen uh, significant friction, but uh, you know, it's, it's something where I think with the, in the long run, we will look like the reasonable folks uh, because, you know, most people uh, who are extreme and loud on what we call crypto Twitter and the crypto ecosystem, they, they just simply don't have the ability to moderate uh, in the way that we do or to adjust strategy. You know, they're just yeah. you know, hammers. So, um, so that's, that's our goal. Our goal is now do the work. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. It's happening across multiple protocols, multiple communities, multiple locations. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of speaks to an evolving, uh, quick moving kind of frontier market. And I wonder, cause you know, you've worked at giant, you know, corporations like Google, uh, how this kind of compares working in the sort of frontier tech market, uh, in digital assets, as opposed to a more established one and what your observations have been there. Yeah, numerous. So the biggest is uh, things change so, so, so much faster than they do uh, you know, in that big company, big market environment. Even when you look at 
you know, these emerging markets like Uber uh, and the ride sharing market that people say, hey, it's moving you know, ferociously fast. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin or Ethereum or Binance, I mean, these companies are introducing new products at a rate that like is unlike anything that I've ever seen. And it's faster even than the Ubers, like much easier to open you know, a new market for Uber than to literally create you know, Binance in, in a given week, sometimes two or three new products, right? Yep. So I, I've been thrilled and excited by that. Now, the volume of what's created uh, also you know, can, can obviously be scary and, and has a downside in that um, it moves faster than regulations. And it also, it also moves faster than sort of customers' ability to evaluate, let's say, the risks properly. And it moves you know, faster than uh, you know, journalists or the industry or analysts' ability to mm. do proper analysis on, on what may be good or bad and to evaluate claims. Um, and I'm not saying that about necessarily the finances of the world. I'm saying that you know, we see so many new startups and IEOs and ICOs, and it's just impossible. Uh, there's just not enough people capable <laughs> of uh, fully evaluating all that's being introduced. So you know, these frontier tech markets are, are just so much riskier than anything else. And particularly uh, the cryptocurrency and digital asset space where you know these are often you know, tradable assets relatively soon uh, and to the public in many cases, uh, particularly outside the United States, um, shortly after introduction and, and pre-product. So yeah, there's just an immense amount of risk and so we feel like the work that we do is critically, critically important. And it's good that we've established credibility. By the way, it's good that I have experience like running traditional tech businesses. Uh, because if I look across this landscape, I mean, I've already seen in the last 12 months, businesses like ours, in, in the sense that they try to cover the space, just dying and going out of business. You know, they were built on sort of advertising dollars from scams, right? And, and things that had tons of money to spend. And you know, we're in a better place where we can align ourselves with the folks who are really creating yeah. value in the ecosystem. And it's kind of like, great. you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, what like a mature market looks like uh, and what this, you know, is heading towards and maybe have a greater intuition as to uh, what it should feel and look like moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I have that pattern recognition and, and it's, it's critical because I'll tell you, we get, uh, we get hit up multiple times per week by companies that want to partner with us on, you know, content sharing, brand sharing, you know, syndication, running contributor reports, uh, like you name it. And, and we just, you know, need to be really careful and, and deliberate about who we associate ourselves with. We're, we're here for yeah. decades because we, we know that this ecosystem um, and creating new money will take quite a long time. Uh, to play out, but we think it's going to play out on a scale, you know, the size of the internet, right? Mm. Itself. Yeah. I think especially a fast moving and such a complex space that's also very global. Uh, just knowing what matters, what to prioritize your time with. I know at my company, that's, it's always kind of like, all right, there's a million things we could be doing. What are we going to prioritize? Because we can't say yes to everything. Um, and so I imagine, uh, you have some similar challenges over there. Absolutely. And, and even more so, uh, the fact that we've actually seen, it, it's really multiple, multiple markets, right? 
and, and you could always say that about, for example, search, right? Google got you know, all the countries of the world and then you know, China had Baidu. Um, you know, Facebook, the majority of the world, uh, but not really China. It's really, really different right now, given that we're talking about money and the regulation is different. Mm. When you think yeah. about uh, the cryptocurrency or the digital asset ecosystem, uh, it's just uh, as much as it is global and you know, I can buy BNB and I can buy Tron you know, here in some places in the United States. Uh, it's it's just the projects that can be created, the way they can be marketed and sold, uh, and the markets themselves are not global. So right. Bitcoin is, is really the only one that is in the sense, and, and Ethereum to some extent, and, and mainly because you know, they're not they're sort of the least centralized. Uh, I, I don't like that word really, but the least, they're the most unstoppable projects. And I mean, Bitcoin, obviously, I think uh, in the long run is unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like they have the best maybe distribution or some other way to look at it like that. Um, and just there's no single point of failure, you know, with with thousands of nodes and uh, and no original creator that you can know and attack. It, yeah, it really. And and, uh, and right now, pretty high security threshold. Uh, I think, yeah. yeah, Bitcoin's in a in a unstoppable place, and and people will find a place and a way to use it. Uh, and some yeah. of us will use it in, in let's say, centralized, trusted ways, buying on regulated exchanges in the US and storing on cold wallets, but you know, produced perhaps, you know, not, you know, not um, washing our, our coins, but, you know, others will do it in really you know, different and, and self-sovereign ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that all the time that, like, the anonymity of the creator of Bitcoin is keeps it almost like on a you know higher plane than if some human with their personality or like insanity or you know flaws and shortcomings that we all have uh was associated directly with what you know what this is and the fact that it could be unattached to an individual human i think is more important than people realize oh unquestionably and i think or i know that uh bitcoiners understand that and and talk about the genesis of bitcoin and in a way that really no other no other coin can can claim to have a similarity to that, and I think you know I, I fundamentally believe at the end of the day that that's one of the most important properties, um, and and that it took a few years before people even realized its potential uh, as a money, right? Before it kind of moved out of that initial hobbyist group, and and that's the beauty of it. I certainly didn't even discover it really until 2012, 13, during yeah. that first run up phase. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, changing gears a little bit, you know, when I first met you, you guys were in a humble, like we work office not so long ago. And I think you now have your own space. You're quickly growing. And obviously, like you said, I have a lot of people very aware and interested in working with you over that time. I imagine as you've entered into this space, you've learned a great deal. And so I'm just curious, kind of from what you expected to what the reality has been, you know, what have those observations been and what's been different than, than you expected? So when we first started in that WeWork, I mean, the business model, my initial seed deck was completely different than the way that the business is turned out today. Uh, so again, we launched into uh, the day that I decided that the day that I left Button, my last company, I think Bitcoin was at $17,000, right? I wrote a post called Day One and it was it was the you know, near the, the peak of the hype, right? So 
for a number of months when I was formulating this idea, thought about it as uh, something in my mind was crypto simplified. So I'd love to take these really complex ideas and help uh, my brother, who's an, en- you know, an engineer and works at Taboola, understand cryptocurrency better. Um, so people who are sort of casual observers. But what quickly became apparent was, uh, you know, as the price continued to go down and I would say the retail market went away, uh, that the primary audience for the products, you know, the media and information products that that you could profitably uh, in the long run produce were going to be targeted at professionals. Uh, and that's really been true throughout the history of financial information, at least for the past few decades. Uh, Bloomberg, Morningstar, FactSet, uh, and a number of others, PitchBook, are significantly more valuable than you know the street, right? Uh, than than any sort of consumer-facing product, Yahoo Finance. So mm-hmm. we, within a span of about a year from last summer to this summer, uh, really repositioned our entire focus from the casual uh, news and journalism which by the way is very important as a branding and top of funnel part of the business, but it's not going to be the part of the business that will long-term drive meaningful economic value for us. Um, And and that's because again, in financial information markets, uh, the most important thing if you're producing information for people is, Hey, does this help them either make money or, you know, not lose money. Right. So, so find opportunities or avoid mistakes. Uh, or form theses that in the long run will help them make money. So that's where uh, we have focused. And that's why today, actually, we we just launched our revamped and highly improved Genesis product. Uh, and so most of our editorial team now uh, are research and analyst folks uh, and or have that capability. Uh, most of what we do is data driven. And it's really targeted at that professional, whether it be a professional investor uh, somebody who's working on a product or a company uh, where they need to see those market insights. I liken it, again, to some of those larger financial companies that I mentioned to you. Like I liken it to a CB Insights for tech. And uh, it's just, you know, I, I see that, particularly as you look at the really large general media landscape where everyone is struggling uh, in the ad-supported media or the general purpose media business um, because of you know, Facebook and Google soaking up all the ad dollars. So I wonder, that's interesting what you're saying about, you know, the way you said it was the retail market went away. Do you mean to say that like, basically it's now becoming an institutional industry as a whole and we're seeing that transition or obviously there's different sections. So it dropped. So, so you can just look and we've done a ton of, we've done a number of pieces on this over the past year. Your trading volumes are obviously way down off the peak. If it can uh, higher in late 2017, early 2018, uh, particularly as you think about retail spot exchanges like Coinbase, you know their volumes drop significantly from those peaks and haven't recovered. In Asia, you see a little more retail participation, but as we speak deeply to you know folks in South Korea, uh, in China, the the folks are participating. It's not retail like you know your buddy. Uh, it, it's like family offices and really high net worth people who yeah. are either trading directly or trading again, you know, via an institution doing it on right. their behalf. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pros and, and high net worth people. 
it's not people doing it out of their, you know, this is my fun trading accounts. Yeah. It kind of seems like we're at the, gone from retail to sort of the bottom part of the institutional market at present. Correct. And then, you know, institutions are playing, but this is such a small asset class today that it really is specialized institutions. Um, So, you know, Bitcoin itself, I mean, what's, you can go to coin market cap and we're talking about a total uh, market cap for this ecosystem of $300 billion or less today. Uh, You know, that's a, that's a trivial asset class compared to uh, even gold. So there's, there's, there are institutions in the space. They're just different than the, the, the mainstream ones haven't jumped in yet and, and likely won't. Uh, until there's more of a market and more money to be made. Right. Right. It's kind of a chicken and the egg though, no? Like the institutions won't join until there's a bigger market, but the market won't be bigger until the institutions join. (laughs) Yeah. And like folks have been saying, hey, the institutions are coming for ages, but (laughs) we've seen the the volumes on, yeah, on backed and and elsewhere. Uh, Mm. And I think we just need to break that term institutions down uh, more granularly. And mm. it's, it's simply not uh, the, f- you know, fidelities and vanguards. I mean, they're, they're using blockchain technology and uh, vanguard, they're building digital asset infrastructure fidelity, but they're not making these products available, you know, via funds to millions of, of retail folks. Uh, so, you know, that's going to take a long time to evolve. Yeah. Any other kind of unexpected things in, as far as the way the industry has gone or what you've learned uh, since you've entered it? Yeah. Yeah. So another big one is there is no one, the industry, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier geographically, but yeah. uh, this is an extremely tribal space. Uh, so you, know, you have, we'll call it the Bitcoin ecosystem and they have their own conferences. They uh, have their own you know, sort of religious beliefs. There are companies built solely on Bitcoin. Uh, then you have the Ethereum or open finance uh, ecosystem. And uh, and then you have exchange tokens and you have companies specifically. But uh, these different communities believe deeply, deeply different things. There's not one, you know, one overarching thesis. And I think many people outside of the space would group, for example, cryptocurrency and blockchain into one thing. Uh, but obviously, you know, there's an enterprise blockchain sector uh, that IBM and SAP and a lot of the big uh, you know, accounting firms and consensus all participate in that is completely different than the actual monetary uh, products and, and protocols that a separate part of the community is building on. So, you know, I've been, I, I knew that to some extent, but uh, but they don't interact as much as, as I would have expected. And, and they believe in deeply fundamental things, fundamentally right. different things. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I wonder, you know, sometimes I think like the nature of blockchain and Bitcoin and its decentralized non-government kind of approach and it being money like forces government and regulation to confront, uh, you know, individual freedoms and, you know, international global kind of movements. And I wonder... You know, some of that fractionalization that's done on a jurisdictional or government level, do you see that? How do you see that evolving over time? Are we going to have one more kind of unified uh, set of global regulations uh, or is it just going to stay fractional or will there be some kind of dominant player? Uh, from a, you know, how is that going to be organized, do you think, moving forward? So there will be some element of you know, global or largely global 
standards, right? And you've seen that with uh, the Financial uh, Action Task Force data um, in terms of sharing information on transactions across different exchanges, okay? So there will be, we'll call it global uh, standards of, regula- of, of regulation in some respects, but in terms of you know, what's available to purchase and, and by whom and used in what way, uh, that's never going to be something that from an officially sanctioned way will be uniform globally. Uh, we just, you know, that, that's obvious, right? Uh, just based on you know, the different governments at play, the different philosophies uh, and the different monetary policies. That being said, uh, again, I don't, I would look at Bitcoin specifically and say, again, how can you stop something from being done? If somebody wants to use that, if somebody wants to send it to another person, uh, there is and are ways to do that in a, uh, in a way that's unstoppable. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, you could have some regulation that maybe dampens it, but on a literal, you know, technical, logical level, yeah, it's, uh, there's no way it's like trying to shut off the internet or something. Um, so I think there, which by yeah. the way, you know, China's done a pretty good job of. So, I mean, there's <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, they're, they're the wild card, but, but so I guess to your point, never say never. Um, frighteningly enough, we're, we are moving, uh, away from that kind of open uh unfettered internet towards yeah. one that really does vary country to country uh, i don't know if you read ben ben thompson's stratechery uh but he just did a phenomenal series uh over the last couple of days uh he lives in i want to say uh taipei uh, taiwan about you know chinese censorship relating to what happened with the nba um hmm and a host of other things but it's it's so it is possible uh, if a government is act uh china is not only you know, cut off the majority of the internet from their citizens but now i i would argue and ben argued is using it as an offensive weapon uh to you know stir up nationalism amongst its citizens so you know it's it's a, it's an interesting and scary and unpredictable time for you know freedom of information and money. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think it's really unclear uh, to me, at least, where we're heading. And then I hear like you know I think some people are in the Bitcoin crypto industry are like, oh, we're gonna get past governments, but I never hear any kind of like clear understanding of how we get from today, which is very far from that, to like this post post government you know unified world, uh, other than like giant global market collapse and wait like the price is going to jump up because every government's falling apart but at that point you know uh, i think we have much bigger issues than uh you know the price of bitcoin yeah i would i would agree with that uh it's it's hard to say we've been uh anybody who tells you they know the the path of what the ultimate believer in hyper bitcoinization you know where it becomes the world's you know global reserve currency yeah how we get from there to there here to there, uh, anybody who tells you that they know how that could or potentially would happen is, is you know, they're crazy. Right. The, the fundamental fact is that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically has only existed in, for, for example, in the U.S., a raging, you know, what are we, 10, 10 year now, um, soon moving into year 11 bull market. So we actually don't know how this asset uh, and money you know, will perform right. were we to hit recession or were there to be, uh, you know, a major risk on movement to 
government discord broadly uh, or you know a, a real out and out trade war between right. the US and China that impacted you know the global economy yeah we just don't know so I I believe in the short run it would likely be painful for an asset like Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies I, I don't see why people would go to a what seems like a you know highly risky asset um, at moment of uncertainty yeah right. but let's say you know that happens and the price doesn't go down or it holds relatively well uh, initially you know maybe it does then become another place it, it, a lot depends on what happens happens with other asset classes etc uh, right. but at this point yeah it's all speculative yeah you know, it's kind of like uh, like religion or god like if someone tells me they know the answer <laughs> they definitely don't know the answer correct correct i <laughs> i do take the the most hardcore um, maximalists from any community and uh, and I, I do tend to discount some of what they say because or or often a lot of what they say because just no no human being could have that level of knowledge about something. I mean, you certainly may be certain in your mind, but it's not yeah. based on anything <laughs> any any sound fact that could be properly evaluated. Right. Sometimes I like to say, uh, you know, I'm always sure, but I'm not always right. There you go. There you go. There's a lot of always sure in this uh, in this ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so kind of just going back to the the block and and some of your direct experience. I know in the past, you know, you're working at Button. Um, yeah. But here, you're you're really a CEO and not just like a co-founder. I wonder how that kind of experience is is different from from the past. Yeah. The the role changes dramatically. So um, in in the sense of sort of financially and career-wise, uh, I think as, as a co-founder, you're taking on a lot of risk, right? Um, but I never fully appreciated from a reputational perspective and, uh, and, and just an obligation to and your entire team and their livelihoods. Uh, as a CEO, you know, your responsibility is that much greater. So let's say for example you know we had six co-founders at, at my last company and i was the chief revenue officer uh i did didn't fully appreciate uh how different you know our ceo mike jaconi's role was uh one you know he has the primary relationship with our investors ultimately all decisions while everybody has input you know come down to to him um you know within reason right like for example the block I don't make editorial decisions uh, as far as what we run specifically, but in terms of our long-term strategy, I will you know, talk with the team about you know, where we're going. So the biggest change is, uh, one is an increased level of responsibility, thinking about things outside of the day-to-day -day operation of the business. So I'm not super highly involved, again, in what our, pro what our core product is, right? So the team today, like I'm doing nothing related to editorial and they're putting out a ton of work and we have tens of thousands of people on our site and it's really exciting um, and they're interacting with our product and discussing it uh, and so that's really exciting and so the role changes from running a specific function or set of functions like I did at my last company where I was heading up sales and marketing and business development and, and you know doing other things leadership and strategy related to handing those responsibilities to, to people that you trust deeply uh, mm. And then on a more irregular basis, uh, yeah, so on an ongoing basis, like we're getting reports from them, talking to them regularly, understanding how, you know, the product roadmap's going, 
the editorial roadmap, operations, finance, uh, tying all those things together, making sure the team's communicating um, and demanding ownership uh, of those things to them. Uh, but then, yeah, doing a lot of things externally as well. And then being, again, much more trusting of your people and that uh, it can be nerve wracking. Right. It is. Yeah. It's uh, it's intense. And it's and you're always on. Right. You're at the beck and call of uh, when when somebody needs an answer uh, at the company, if you're the CEO, um, you know, you you owe it to them to get them that answer uh, within reason or respond to them. Yeah. I think that like going back to, you know, that trust aspect of like people I work with, I trust. And then usually in the way, same way, but sometimes they'll, you know, do something or want to take a path that, you know, deviates from what my intuition tells me. And I struggle sometimes to know like, okay, you know, there's definitely, I have my shortcomings and then, you know, as does everyone else. And like when to allow for like when to step in and say, no, I disagree. And when to like, see like, Oh, like, let's see where this thing goes. And, you know, let, you know, be open to other pathways without being a, you know, control freak that's been the hardest change for me, right? So uh, even when you start a company, right? Hey, I was CEO of a company of one. And so you, you gradually over time, you change from a, a, a single proprietor to a, you know, a, a company owner along with a number of other folks and a company builder. And it, it's just a great point is uh, there's a shift from, hey, this, is the, this was the vision in my head uh, a year and a half ago of, of where the company would be in 18, 24 months and where it would head in five years to, okay, this is realistic given the market, uh, the team we have in place and uh, multiple really informed viewpoints alongside mine. Uh, It's always been a challenge for me. Hey, I love to talk. I love to give my opinion and, you know, sometimes data backed and and sometimes (laughs) not. So, uh, and and the team has been really good. I've been fortunate. Uh, You know, it's so critical to hire that group of really phenomenal leaders alongside you. Uh, who you do trust to make decisions and, and who you do trust to push back reasonably uh, and yeah. to inform, you know, the decisions that you make. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of what you're saying about like the kind of communications strategy of the company as a whole uh, evolving as there's different phases of the business and also, you know, what's needed of a CEO and what those day-to-day function looks like, I think also evolve uh, as something matures. Unquestionably. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we can mature at the same pace. So, yeah, and it's fast. You're, you're like, maturing i don't know yeah it's like getting better at running while you're in the middle of a super fast sprint yeah on your on the treadmill or something (laughs) i wonder like well just makes me think kind of you were saying before how just the industry also is changing and and developing at a pace that not really have been seen elsewhere even within i think tech or emerging markets and i've well one i think like you know I wonder if it's the people that are able to be kind of like water like evolve like that uh or who are most suited to do well and i wonder also um you know i wonder like if there is there something specifically the underlying like characteristics of this industry that that make it this way i mean it's like natively digital uh it's a lot of kind of futuristic tech people but i wonder if like why is this the way it is for this industry that it's so fast changing uh it's just so uncertain you know and it's uh it i think it's because it's a disruptive it truly is a disruptive industry uh, versus like, and, and I may be using the wrong terms, but uh, fintech to me as a broad uh, class of, of companies and technology is kind of like an evolution of finance, right? So there's like set rules and you're building on top and improving um, existing financial technology. 
the uh, and processes and procedures. Whereas here, uh, one, you know, we're creating new technology, but we're also creating new money. Uh, and so, and, and there's new governance models. And so, so many interrelated disciplines are changing all at once uh, that, I mean, by, by the very nature of it, it's going to be, uh, and they're happening is happening at a scale, um, as we've said, global, um, that it's just, it's obvious uh, why things are changing much more rapidly. Uh, yeah. Additionally, because it's so confusing, it, it doesn't attract your uh, yet many of your kind of like traditional business minded, uh, hey, we've been through this before, we know how to grow a company type people. Probably for the best, by the way, because the uncertainty would kill them. Um, <laughs> but but I think it, it does often lead to some silly and stupid things. And uh, and again, because we're talking about money, we attract many more scammers. And and because the the the, the coins can get in the hands of folks, you know, earlier than things have been built. Um, it's just yeah, there's a lot of reasons why uh, things move so fast with such uncertainty, blow up, um, and. Yeah, look, the biggest example of why uh, things are moving fast is um, because they're so important. The you know, money, ultimately, the creation of it, the policy around it, uh, and its power in, in driving you know entire nation states uh, and economies is it's it's one of if not the you know, money plus military, right? They're two and and sort of you know the governance of any country are the most important things. Uh, and you saw that obviously, you know, over the summer and t through today uh, in terms of many governments reaction to Libra. So you know, Facebook yeah. has a scale, you know, two and a half billion uh, customers and users where, you know, if they introduced a new money, it would have astonishing repercussions uh, on, on nation states and, and mm. their you know, sort of credibility and, and you know, power as derived yeah. again through money. Uh, yeah. And so the, the reaction has been massive in force and in, in pace uh, and in skepticism. So, uh, you know, things move fast again, just because of the gravity of what is happening here. Right. And you've never right. seen governments react to this rapidly. It took years even just to react to some of the information problems around Facebook, right? Even, even their ability, you know, the election things that took longer to rally people uh, and governments against Facebook than Libra has. Um, right. So yeah, I think that tells you a lot about the importance of, of yeah. what we're building and how much it matters. Yeah. Yeah. I think amidst all that change, it's really, you know, inevitable things will change and it's how do we, what's the vision and values that we know can to adhere to like that, whatever light that we're following. So that like, even though things are going to evolve and take on different forms, we at least know like intuitively, I, I think like what, what is core and what is important for a company or uh, individual participating and what is uh, secondary to that. And so I think, you know, for me, understanding myself has come a lot through like making, you know, massive mistakes in my life. And so I wonder just for you, like, uh, kind of, have you, what's like a big mistake you've made and, uh, you know, what have you learned from that? That's, you know, guiding some of how you operate today. So, uh, one big mistake has been, uh, going the conventional path for too long. Um, mm. and so, you know, I didn't found my first company, uh, or co-found, you know, button until 
I was uh, 34. And, uh, you know, I regret that and, and until I had a family, right? Uh, 10 years ago, I could have worked 18 hour days. I'm not recommending it, but, mm-hmm. um, and I'm always on, but I also have an obligation to my children, to my wife uh, and to, you know, all of their friends. And so, um, so I do regret not starting to build things earlier. Uh, I was a product of the sort of education industrial complex, right? Like, and then I got a great education, you know, prep school and uh, you know, yeah, really you good college. Stanford, right? Yeah, Stanford, and then went to you know, Kellogg to get an MBA. So the biggest education mistake and sort of professional mistake was wasting two years getting an MBA and all that money. Uh, that set me back. So I didn't really start in tech until uh, I was 27. Now, I don't even have on my current team many folks who are older than 27. So I really admire and respect people who uh, are brave enough to, to take a leap. Uh, and by the way, I think it is you know, these days um, more common and you, you, people have seen successful technology and startup outcomes. So it's easier to join one when there's better information about them. That being said, still, I'm highly, highly impressed by people uh, who start at a young age uh, down a path and, and know what they want. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that. So I lost a lot of years on that. I mean, I learned along the way. And, and but um, so that's one. Uh, two is, again, not jumping out into the frontier tech arena uh, and where things are really changing. So I am so excited uh, to spend you know, the next decade working on the edge of money. Right. Uh, on this, on this edge, not on the, you know, kind of insidery, Hey, let's make P2P payments, you know, over bank rails at Venmo uh, yeah. a little bit easier. Like, that's cool, but it's not like world changing to, you know, somebody who doesn't have access to money uh, right. in, in Africa. And and that's just, you know, I know that's a common trope use case, but, but it's a real one. Right. Um, and so I'm excited now to be working on, on you know, things that matter. And I'm also less, um, uh, I've come to the realization, I always mistook that like, hey, if you're not an engineer or you're not working on the hardest engineering problems, you know, you could be adding more value if you did, you know, educate yourself to do that. And I've gotten very comfortable now with our place and my place in the, the ecosystem. Yeah. So I believe, you know, giving folks amazing information like we do at the block to help them do their jobs better, whether they're engineers, builders, business people, econ- economists is incredibly valuable. Uh, and making it accessible so that more people, you know, who do have those uh, very specific and, and special skills uh, can do their work more effectively. Right. So, yeah, it's just, you know, getting comfortable uh, with risk and then getting comfortable uh, that you can add value without, you know, having skill X, Y, or Z. And yeah. again, I've been really impressed with my team for realizing that earlier. I would say from a career perspective, that's been the biggest long-term one uh, for me. Yeah, I think it's not many people who like you get to wake up and do work and really feel like, oh, this like actually matters. There's some there's some writer who I forget who prefers to it, but they talked about like the bullshit class of like uh, people who work in the bullshit class, which is just like you're in some corporation and, you know, just trying to keep your boss happy. And you're not even clear that the company itself is doing anything that's good or meaningful for society. I also used to think, you know, I'm uh, 31 that like people like, oh, like you're such a risk taking entrepreneur. And I'm like, like what's the the worst thing's gonna happen is like end up in like middle management like it's not like the highest risk thing when you really dig down into it like i don't have a i don't have kids i don't have a wife like you know i'm able to take risk because uh you know how far i can fall even with massive failure isn't isn't really that far i was in the peace corps and like 
there's people without electricity and have tuberculosis. So like, uh, I think just understanding really what the risk is, uh, is different than maybe it's how it's perceived often. Yep. So yeah, we have a, just a couple minutes here. I guess I would just ask you, you know, where, where's the block heading from here? You guys have evolved a lot since you've started. Uh, where are you evolving now and kind of what's your, your focus uh, moving forward? So we have uh, evolved, as I mentioned earlier, into a you know, really focused professional uh, operation. And so the next iteration of the block, you know, we're going to begin a, a Series A fundraising process. Uh, and that is meant to... Uh, fund significant growth in our data products. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, we really view the pitch books and the morning stars and the fact sets and the Bloombergs of the world as, uh, as a guiding light. Now, crypto overall is much more complex in terms of the information that you need to provide uh, to decision makers. And so you know, we think we're really ambitious uh, in thinking about what data we present and what matters uh, in mm. terms of moving markets and and you know what projects people should decide to work on, and and you know what strategies they should take. So, we're going to be working on getting uh, a data product that's very crypto specific uh, right over the next couple of years. Uh, we're going to work on uh, something that you know, we refer to as internally as access, and that doesn't mean like access to non-public information or things like that. I mean, we don't even have that, but uh, access to to one another, so to the best thinkers. Uh, LinkedIn, there's no like LinkedIn other than like you could think of like Telegram as the, as I guess the, the LinkedIn of crypto. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but we'd like to, uh, we, have a, we have a Slack group for our Genesis premium institutional members who can uh, interact with our researchers dang. and yeah, they find that, <laughs> yeah, you definitely, definitely need to join. Um, and, and so, you know, we haven't marketed that particularly well because we wanted to really get product market fit before we, we did that. So, you know, we're going to be raising, we're raising to, to hire, uh, data engineers, uh, product mm. folks to build that product out and make yeah. it native. You know, today we use Slack. We'd love to have our own, you know, perfectly tailored product similar to how you know Bloomberg, for example, has their communication tool and it, it works for traditional finance folks. I mean, it looks like it's from 1980, but um, you know, it, it still works. So we're going to be focused on turning from, I guess what I would say is like a, you know, from media to a product uh, and that product huh. will be anchored by data, uh, by communications and then a community coming out of that. So if you look at the crypto ecosystem today, the community happens through, conferences right and and things like that but as we get more global um in real time it's just you're not going to want to wait you know two months to see somebody at a conference uh you're going to want to interact with them and, and you know be sharing uh, and utilizing some of the same data uh so we're we're really focused i know i'm speaking in vague terms because obviously um you know there's some element of secret sauce that, sure. that we'd like to create and we think we can create um but yeah, we, we want in, in five years uh, when people think of, uh, hey, you know, what, what am I going to turn to or what product do I need uh, to do my job uh, in the you know, financial markets um, or you know, I have a company that spends a significant amount in the digital assets market, uh, what product do I need to turn to to make the right decisions so that I yeah. don't lose money or so that I can make more money and we want it yeah. to be you know, Genesis and, and the box Genesis. Interesting. It's kind of like... Because like for uh, professional institutions, the trying to become the trying to become or you know continuing to be the uh, the trusted source or even trusted kind of like location in a sense from the way you're saying you got it. it. 
Yeah, um, exactly. And I think the challenge there too is again, given the tribal nature and given the you know sort of fractured nature of the communities, uh, it's it's to thread that needle and and maintain that credibility and and some yeah. you know, neutrality of of you know information source, but while providing significant value to folks and we're not uh you know that's a that's a tall order and we think we're up to it but it's gonna be fun and so, hard. Say, if i'm a investor here in this podcast and i i have to invest in the block how would i how would i get in touch or how would i go about that hey i'm all over my, my dms are <laughs> open so I can, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like i'm a i'm very non-traditional in terms of uh you know as a ceo right i'm very open uh, i'm on twitter a lot myself i uh I do share uh, like a good amount of information and, uh, and it's just, it's because who, of who I am. So, you know, I, I talk with everybody and, I, and I'm excited. So uh, people can reach me online. They can reach me, uh, you know, my email. Gotcha. And, uh, and I love it. I love talking about our company, our space and uh, how much bigger I think the opportunity is going to be over the next yeah. five, 10 years. Any last thoughts or things you'll, you'll leave us with today? Uh, so be good to each other and be kind to each other. I went through a, you know, a phase where I was so stressed and, uh, mm. it was kind of last, I would say it ended, um, you know, maybe a month ago or three weeks ago. Um, but I think that there's a lot of negative energy right now in the space, um, directed at others, mm. you know, born out of uncertainty and, and, you know, insecurity by by many of us right i mean it, it's so early it's so stressful it changes so fast uh, and i saw it again you know over the last week with devcon happening and you know different different communities attacking one another um that's a lose lose uh and i've been there and i've done it in a bad way and contributed to it uh and you know certainly my my mindset and my approach uh has improved tremendously i've been much more productive um, mm. by trying to you know, stay more positive and just ignoring uh, negative energy. And, and we need to do that because, you know, it, it, it scares off, I know, from just talking to normals, uh, you know, people who are in normal tech, like look at whether it be crypto Twitter or just, you know, the stories that they're hearing and reading. And they're like, ah, that, that place really still seems sort of wild and, and undeveloped and, and it scares them, you know? So, so I think, you know, the better we are to each other, uh, the more attractive this place will get uh, and become for uh, for you know the next 10x number of folks that we absolutely will need um, if we want this to become you know a five trillion, ten trillion dollar you know asset class. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, wish you all the best. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the time. Hey, so that was our discussion with Mike C of the Block. Really great talk. Um, I know you know Mike a little bit, but I was pleasantly surprised just how how grounded and uh, thoughtful he was in, in their conversation. I'm just kind of taking away from it that this is a rapidly moving and changing space, and we need to be changing and growing people ourselves to kind of manage to succeed within it and, and to be the people that uh, we want to be. And though it's all kind of technical and seems to be about engineering, it's really values and human connections, trusting people, having responsibility, learning from mistakes, that seems to be uh, what can drive a lot of success. You know, I think having that kind of balance where, you know, I can work all day long, but at some point my uh, there's diminishing returns. Like, I don't have that much to say, I don't have that much creativity left and I need to recharge. I know for me, I like to 
hike and be in nature, um, but kind of being a, a person that can then inhabit this changing space seems like something Mike's learned to do. And uh, that blended with some of his past experience in regular corporations, bring some of the experience that's needed to know what direction to move into. So a really great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Executioners.